The following content has been rated for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in there. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squawk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. And this week, we are actually going to be going back to my hometown where I grew up and talk about a heartbreaking story that happened when I was a kid. Yeah, you were you were saying a bit about this in the uh, the team group chat thing, and I'm, I'm interested to hear where this is going, because this is one that I haven't heard of. Yeah, this actually is one that I hadn't heard of, because when I was, I was six years old when this happened, so I was very sheltered from it because I was a little kid. And oddly enough, my sister told me about this story and she's like, you need to do this story. And then I started looking into it and it broke my heart. I cried many times doing the research on this. It also comes back to this very kind of what we were talking about last week about how every location has this history that is, you know, in the ground, in the buildings and all the things around you and you don't really think about it, and then you start reading some of these things. I know where this happened. There, I actually do have a little bit of a personal tie that will go over like way later in the story, but it's just like, for me, there's so much nostalgia in this area, and then to hear something so horrible, it just, like I said, breaks my heart. But let's jump in. About an hour or so outside of Philadelphia is Reading, Pennsylvania. It's smaller than Philadelphia, but definitely not small. It is actually the fourth largest city in the state. It's famous for the Reading Railroad, which actually, if you've ever played Monopoly, is on the Monopoly board. There is I, a... I have played Monopoly. Um, I, have, I might not have seen movies, but I have played Monopoly, and I didn't know that. <laughs> yep, it's one of the four railroads on Monopoly. There I is will also... also have you know that uh, me and being an expert at the English language have always pronounced that as... I think reading railroad, not reading. Everybody thinks it's reading. It is spelled like you are reading a book, but it is yep. said reading. The English language is fun. Well, I don't think it's an English language thing. I think it's a cultural local thing. We're weirdos. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There is also a giant Japanese style pagoda built up on the mountain and the eaves are lined with red lights. So you can see it at a distance at nighttime. It's famous for outlet shopping, pretzels, and a very high crime rate. Now, a lot of it is, you know, drug-related, gang-related versus, you know, just bloody murder everywhere. But Reading is one of the highest crime rates in the country. And the city is an odd mix of urban life and history. Local sports teams that feed up through the systems of the Philadelphia Flyers and the Phillies to museums, art centers. I grew up about 15 minutes outside of the city. So I'm a little biased, like I said, by nostalgia and memories. And Just I, a little bit. <laughs> I was born in the Reading Hospital, which I've mentioned this before, but that is the same hospital where Terrell Swift was born among many other 
many, many other people. It is like the big hospital in the area. Does uh, you, you, you tell people that you and Taylor Swift were like twins or something? I have never told anybody that we are twins. I you mean, you tried to convince people that we were switched at birth, even though I am years older than her. I mean, no one knows that unless you tell them, but, you know, fair. <laughs> but I did grow up outside of the city in the country. I wasn't in the city. I wasn't living in the city, but I was in the city often, visited the city often. My first real job out of college was in downtown Reading. When I was a kid, the day before school started every year, my dad would take the day off of work and we would go to the Reading Museum. I would drag him to see this mummy that we had seen a hundred times. Every time I went to the museum, I had to go see this mummy. And we would then walk through the garden trails. They have a little creek that kind of goes through. Then there are ducks everywhere. So we would sit and we would watch the ducks swimming, bobbing their heads underwater. And then we would always go to the same place for lunch. Like it was our tradition. From kindergarten through my senior year in high school, every year we would go to the Reading Museum. I also have tons of memories of the Reading Phillies games. First, when I was a little kid growing up with my parents, they would take me, my brother, and my sister. Later, started taking my nieces. Now I go with my husband and our nephews. It's just something about a hot dog and a funnel cake at the stadium that tastes different and tastes so much better. There's just something that, about that, it. Um, that stadium and, and like carnival food would be hitting different. It's true. And uh, not everyone knows this, but the Reading Phillies Stadium has been voted one of the best minor league ballparks. They have a pool in the outfield that you can rent out and have like pool parties and the kids can swim and watch the game at the same time. They have just amazing engagement and fun activities. They have the crazy hot dog vendor, which is a guy in one of those costumes where he it looks like he's riding an ostrich, but it's really his legs instead of the ostrich's legs. You know those costumes? Oh, yeah, those. yeah. So he dresses up as the crazy hot dog vendor and he runs out on the field and throws hot dogs into the crowd. Like wrapped, not just loose hot dogs, but like they're they're wrapped up and you oh, get a free hot dog. I was hoping dog. he was you know, throwing loose hot dogs, but I mean like, <laughs> You just you you're sitting there not paying attention to get hit in the face with a hot dog. Even better. You're swimming, and suddenly you get smacked in the head with a hot dog. Just like, <laughs> best story ever. It's a story, for sure. I, 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 was, I was just minding my business, you know, in the pool. Suddenly I got hit in the head with a hot dog by a man in an ostrich costume. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Doesn't get any actually, better than that. This is actually a, a really fun... Because I, I want to I try to be happy right now, because it's not going to be happy much longer. But we recently went to a game, and... There were these three people behind us. It was two guys and a girl. They were rooting for the other team, which is weird because minor leagues, you know, you usually don't go, you know, like you're, you're not going to follow a team around. You're yeah. not going to do whatever. And we're sitting there. We're sitting there. We're going, you know, the game goes and you start, you know, you hear, you overhear them saying stuff and everything. And it turns out that the one guy and the girl had gotten engaged and his best friend is the guy on the other team. And he got drafted and lives far away now. So this was the closest team that they could get to. 
and they had a sign, you know, one of those signs that you do with a magic marker and everything yeah. like that. And partway through the game, they went down to the gate. They talked to the guy that worked there and made sure it was okay. And as he was running off the field, they held up the sign and asked, will you be our best man? And I was oh. like, that is the cutest thing ever. They started rooting for our team and we would cheer for the guy on this other team every time he came up to bat. And then there were other people sitting in the area with us that were cheering for him too, but only him, not the other team, just only him. Just, <laughs> so, him, just him specifically. The other team, not so much, just this guy. Just that guy. But it was, it was just like a really sweet moment. And it's memories like that that I have over the years that make me think very fondly of Reading. You know, I remember... Yeah. going to the mall as a teenager and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, you don't really want to dig up all the horrible stuff and then, you know, just remember that. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. So I do want to I do want to say that even though some horrible things happened, not everything is bad. Now, let's travel back to 1987. The very first Starbucks outside of the U.S. opened up in Vancouver, Canada. Platoon won the Oscar for Best Picture. In Taiwan, martial law ended after 38 years. And this is a very big one right here, Kraken. Rick Astley's single, Never Gonna Give You Up, was written and released. And thus begins a lifetime of memes. Fluoxetine, which is the technical name for Prozac, was approved by the FDA. In fashion, big hair and bright colors were all the rage. And the very first Intel microprocessor hit the markets just at the end of the year before. But sadly, one of the most gruesome murders in the history of Reading, Pennsylvania happened on a warm July night. David Lutz was 20 years old, partying on 10th Street in the city on July 24th, when he met 16-year-old Michael Blotlin. Trying to impress Michael into a romantic endeavor, he started to brag. David went on to talk about how he and his roommate had a lot of money and had a really nice stereo system to entice him. He even added that his roommate Stanley was rich and currently on vacation and out of town so they could go back to the apartment and party in private. Watlin agreed to go home with him, but changed his mind as they were walking back to the apartment. David and Stanley lived on 5th Street, which was just a few blocks away. So David gave him the address, hoping, you know, maybe, you know, he changed his mind, something came up, but they could still, you know, hook up, have a good time. We've all embellished our lives for a possible romantic pursuit. In reality... His roommate was 41-year-old Stanley Detweiler. He worked really hard as the banquet setup person at a local Holiday Inn. He was said to be just kind. Like, the type of person that everyone just loved to be around. He was a talented pianist. He would help tune other people's pianos. And he even sat on the board and played the organ at his church. Isn't that like how they all start, though? It's like, yeah, he was the nicest guy in town. Everyone knew him, and he would give you the shirt off his back. And in reality, he's got like 35 bodies in his basement. Well, this one sadly goes the other way. He oh, was no. really excited, and this leads into why I cried a lot. 
He was so excited to celebrate his 42nd birthday that was two days away on July 27th. No. His brother Norman said that he was so generous and compassionate that at times it would even get him into trouble. One time he picked up a hitchhiker on the side of the road and the man pulled a knife and stole his car because he was so kind that he pulled over. Norman put it simply, he was just very kind-hearted. He would do a lot for other people. As David was bragging and trying to get Michael to come home with him, he didn't know that Michael would later that night reunite with his childhood babysitter, 22-year-old John Calvarisi, at a party. Michael was about to start 10th grade. He always looked up to John, who was six years older than him. And now this man was able to buy him alcohol, was treating him like an adult. They were talking and hanging out. Calvarisi was a very odd role model for a 10th grader. He was a high school dropout, a drifter. He was also really into motorcycles and playing pool, which might have helped share that bond because, you know, you're, you're a teenager and you think that stuff's really cool. So you kind of talk and everything like that. But... Yes, and that's exactly how teenagers talk, too. Mm-hmm. Can confirm, 100%. I mean, I wasn't really a normal teenager, so I can't really... What, was anyone? Okay, fair. I, I can definitely say I wasn't a popular teenager that's for sure fair insane to be honest but you know (laughs) so the two were bonding but they didn't just reminisce and talk about the good old days as they continued to drink the two started to plan a robbery after meeting david and hearing him brag about how much money they had a really nice stereo system that could be sold Michael suggested that as a target and no one would be home. You know, David is out partying. Stanley is out of town. There you go. Rich roommate, fancy stereo system, done deal. As the night turned to morning, these two conspirators set out to their target location. Michael kicked in the door to the apartment because they thought it was empty. And instead, the noise woke Stanley up. Because he was unfortunately home, unlike his roommate said he would. And this is already gone bad as most robberies tend to go. Yeah. As he tried to defend against the intruders, the two of them overpowered his slender frame. He was tall and lanky, not exactly a bodybuilder, not exactly a self-defense martial artist. Calvarisi threw him to the ground. In the adrenaline rush, Boatlin felt that he needed to do something, so he kicked Stanley in the face and helped subdue him. This altercation was taking place in the doorway, so his body was half inside and half in the vestibule of the apartment building as they continued to kick and beat him. He fell unconscious, and then they dragged him inside before shutting the door, and nobody had witnessed this. Obviously, if you saw two guys beating the crap out of some dude, probably someone would intervene. Yeah. It was also you'd, very, you'd very... You'd probably call for help. Yeah. It was in the middle of the night, so I didn't see the exact time, but I want to say like one or two o'clock in the morning. I do know it happened well before 3.30 in the morning. 
but it was, yeah, it the, was the, fairly... at that time there's, you know, there's not going to be many people out so yeah exactly so from this beating detweiler suffered five broken ribs in addition to bruising and smaller injuries as calvarisi went to the kitchen watlin started to go through the apartment looking for anything to steal money items anything however unlike david's description of the apartment it was sparsely furnished and there was very little of value watlin grabbed a glass bank and a checkbook but didn't find much else meanwhile calvarisi had grabbed a nine to ten inch knife from the kitchen some articles said it was a butcher's knife Others said it was a serrated bread knife, but all of them said the same thing. It was big. It was nine, a 9 to 10 inch knife, uh, blade. Returning to the living room where Detweiler was laying, Calvarisi asked, should I cut his head off? And Watlin's horrifying response was simply, okay. Just, I, just okay. Yeah. He later said that he was in shock. And he didn't think that Calvarisi was actually going to do it. And this is a quote. I remember thinking, I don't know this guy. I'm next. People don't understand how traumatized I was. Now, it's, you know, obviously you have no idea because they were the only ones there as to how much of that is true. But he still to this day says that he didn't think he would actually do it. He didn't understand why he would want to do it. And he was just trying to not be next. And I don't know what's worse, if it's a butcher knife or a serrated bread knife. I don't, both are equally bad, but I feel like the, the serrated knife is going to be a lot worse. Yeah. And I think as we go forward, just some things, some details, I think it might have been a serrated blade which is even scarier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Detweiler... I have a serrated bread knife, and those things are scary looking. So, um, no, no, thank you. They are. They very much are. Like, all knives to me are kind of scary, because, you know, they're sharp. Yeah. <laughs> but, but seeing yeah. all the little teeth on the bread knife, that's even worse somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I also don't think bread knives are as sharp. No, probably not. So, like, a, a butcher's I mean, I knife... I, I would think the bread knife would actually have to be like just as sharp, actually, because you know you wouldn't want to use much force because you don't want to squish the bread. True. So, but I I don't know. I feel like a, a butcher's knife is always super sharp because you're using yeah. it to cut meat. So both are bad. Yes, both are very very bad. Deadweiler was starting to come to, and he started struggling. So Calvarisi pinned him to the floor with his knees. Uh, he was on his back. So he had Calvarisi on top of him, and Detweiler tried to fend off the attack, but Watlin stepped on his arm to hold it down, so he was defenseless. He had one man kneeling on top of him, another standing on his arm, and he was just completely, completely vulnerable. And I will warn you, this is not pleasant. This is when Calvarisi started to cut his neck in a sawing motion. So he was completely alive and aware as he started to have his head cut off. I, I, I just, I, I can't imagine that. Yeah, and it's, a, again, it just escalated. One of those things you don't really have words for. Exactly, exactly. And it just escalated from, let's rob this guy, 
to this. Yeah, to, to, it was going to be a quick in and out, grab the stereo and let's go, to now we're cutting a guy's head off. After decapitating Stanley, he twisted the head off and deposited it on the floor next to the body. Later, it when they found him, it was next to his elbow laying on the floor. Calvarisi wiped the blood off of himself before using it to write red rum on the kitchen wall. The Shining had aired on network television the week before. It was a, a huge movie. It is still very well known. And that is what gave him the idea. He told Blotland to smudge the letters so there would be no fingerprints. And then he wrote red rum again on the living room wall, in addition to the letters LSD. Later, Calvarisi stated that while LSD was his favorite drug, he had only indulged in alcohol that night. But then again, later after that, they said he was on LSD the night of the attack with alcohol. But he said he just decided it would make it more interesting to write more words on the wall. Why do uh, I, I don't understand, number one, why they would anyone would want to do something like that. And two, why they feel the need to decorate the place. Yeah. I, I, to make I, it more interesting. Very similar to last week. And like this one, I, I researched this personally. And I still can't wrap my head around a lot of this. And unfortunately, it does get worse. Oh, great. So... Watlin later told police that he didn't understand why Calvarisi murdered Detweiler. The apartment was dark, so he couldn't even see his attackers. They could have just walked away. Throughout the scene, there were bloody fingerprints, handprints, footprints, but the actual property itself wasn't ransacked. So for a robbery, it was very weird because they didn't try to find more stuff to steal. After yeah, it's like, it's like they just did that and they're like all right now we're done so after leaving they took inventory of their loot and this is where it is even worse they walked away with 22 dollars in quarters which they split in half wow according to investigators that supposed expensive stereo system was just a piece of junk another thing that tripped investigators up is that they didn't take the money from his wallet like we're not even talking about like digging around like there was a wallet laying, I, I don't know if it was on a counter or on a table, but there was a wallet and they didn't even take the money from that. Yeah, this whole thing is confusing. Why did they just grab the quarters? Like, I, Yeah, they okay. they, gra they grabbed that bank and they grabbed a checkbook. Yeah. I, I don't understand. And the checkbook would have been useless because upon the police finding the body, I mean, they're not gonna like, cash checks those coming checks. out of that man's accounts. It's going to be a little suspicious because he's dead. David returned home at 3.30 a.m. This is why I said I know it was before 3.30, but it was late at night. To find his roommate lying on the floor, he immediately called the police. And after being treated for shock at the hospital, he was interviewed at City Hall before being cleared. Police Chief Roddy Steffi was highly involved in the case, along with Berks County District Attorney George Yatron. When Steffi saw the body for the first time, and this is the police chief. This is somebody who, unfortunately, part of their job is death and murder. All he could think is what kind of a lunatic would do something like this. 
It's pretty as bad I, whenever the guy who deals with that is just like, that's messed up. Yeah, and like I said, the, the city is known for gang and drug-related crime and things like that, but it isn't something that they had any kind of experience in something like this. No one ever really gets experience like this until something crazy happens, but it wasn't something that they were ever prepared for or ever thinking could happen. Yeah. So in addition to interviewing David, police interviewed several people that knew the roommates, were friends with them in the building, you know, neighbors and things like that, trying to find anything on the case. They interviewed David a second time where they found the detail of meeting Michael the night before the murder. But David only remembered his first name. With that clue, the police dug in and they interviewed other people that were present at the party where they had met. And another person there remembered Michael's last name and address. And then additionally, it turns out as they were digging, Watlin bragged about the crime to a friend. Of course. I mean, he's a 16-year-old kid. He he doesn't doesn't really have a good solid head on his shoulders just yet because he's young and wild and free and you know all of us i know i personally will admit i was young and dumb at one point in time i'm no longer young notice how we're not we're skipping that other that other part in there (laughs) that's not coming from me though i said nothing self-deprecating humor is one of the ways that i deal with horrible tragedies I mean, I think most people do, to be honest. You just gotta, like, laugh your way through it, so to speak. Grin and bear it. The first arrest was made just four days after the crime. So we are talking swift justice here. As they detained Boatlin at home in the presence of his mother and his stepfather. He was arraigned on charges of criminal homicide, murder, voluntary manslaughter, burglary, aggravated assault, robbery, and six counts of criminal conspiracy. A warrant was issued for Calvarese's arrest because Watlin gave up his partner. Due to the brutality and the horror of the crime, the 16-year-old was arraigned and tried as an adult. The That's day after... Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just... It wasn't just your average robbery gone wrong. It went really bad. Yeah, it did. It went about as bad as it possibly could have gone. Yeah. The next day, police received a tip that led to the arrest of Calvarisi. They He was seen in the area. They went and they found him. Apparently, while he was running, he was hiding in a bush. They got him. He gave up without a fight. Once, once they got to him, he was like, all right, you got me. He was also charged with criminal homicide, murder, voluntary manslaughter, burglary, aggravated assault, robbery, and the six counts of criminal conspiracy. During his trial, Calvarisi showed absolutely no emotion as he testified and described everything that happened. He pled guilty but mentally ill to first-degree murder, stating... There was something wrong because you just don't go around cutting people's heads off for nothing. Gee, you don't say. What's a little, uh, what's a lot disturbing is that he, obviously during the trial, described what happened and he had no emotion. But he was later interviewed in prison and again recounted everything with no emotion. Yeah, that's, that's even worse. 
Dr. Larry Rottenberg, a psychiatrist at the Reading Hospital, assessed him. And he testified that Calvarisi was legally sane and able to stand trial. However, he did fit that criteria of guilty but mentally ill, which are two different things. So if you plead insanity, you are unable to stand trial. You do not understand like you have you cannot grip the concept of what is going on so you are not able to stand trial and you know speak for yourself or anything like that and then you are uh, more often than not institutionalized in some manner where it is a uh, a medical prison basically uh you know you're yeah. you're going to be under guard but you are going to get the psychiatric help that you require guilty but mentally ill you are sane. You do understand what you did and why it is bad. You know, you aren't saying, well, you know, the voices in my head told me to do it. You are you are guilty, but you are not 100%, I don't want to say responsible, but there is an aspect of your mental health that skewed what you had done. There's there's some something that's not connecting up there this is making you do these things. Right. So even though you know you shouldn't. Calvarisi was an epileptic who was probably taking the wrong medication. And he mixed it with antidepressants, alcohol, and drugs. Yeah, that's that's not a good combination. Yes. That'll do so it. So that that is where because if he was high out of his mind accidentally like yes he only drank that evening but you combine it with all of these medications and you are not supposed to drink on antidepressants i'm gonna tell you that much it it led to him doing things he did not intend additionally in his past he had attempted suicide multiple times and he had documented psychotic episodes so in addition to the drugs, the alcohol, the medications, he could have had a psychotic episode at the time too. One of those psychotic episodes, this kind of sounded a little, I had to put it in here because it's just weird. During one or multiple of those psychotic episodes, he wrote threatening letters to the United States President Ronald Reagan. Oh, okay. I, I feel like that's also something you probably shouldn't do. That's how you get put on lists. Yeah, that's, that's how you get those black SUVs coming to visit you at random hours of the night. Ah, uh, just make them some tea. It's fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. Just don't worry about it. Both of them were tried separately. Watlin actually did testify at Calvarisi's trial, and both of them were convicted and given life sentences for the crime. Now, this is where, remember at the beginning I said there was a small personal tie to the case? Yes. After the investigation wrapped up, the crime scene was cleared cleaned all of that stuff my grandfather and two of my uncles worked in the construction business for years actually all three of my uncles worked in the construction but only two worked on this job but they were the crew that went to stanley's apartment and replaced the floors and the walls needless to say they were freaked out by the scene the location the job to the point that they didn't even like talking about it that, well, I can understand that. Yeah. I mean, the scene was gruesome and horrifying. They didn't want to bring that to family gatherings and get-togethers. Oh, no. And no, not at all. 
Yeah, so I have I have a big family. I have a brother and a sister. I have uh, so this is just on my mom's side of the family. She has three brothers. They have wives and kids, and then my grandparents, who sadly are no longer with us. You know, it was it was a big family. There were always kids running around, and when we have when we had get-togethers, it was. It was not something where you would talk about something like this. It was something where we would eat a lot of food and, (laughs) you know, laugh. And it was very loud. Very, very loud. You don't really want to be talking about, you know, brutal murders that happened nearby that you worked on. Yeah, apparently my sister. So my sister is 10 years older than me. So she was she was actually uh, Watton's age. She was the same age as one of the attackers she was a little curious about it and asked questions and they were, they shut her down and they're like, we're not, we don't want to talk about this. Yeah. And that's how, you know, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, my, like I said, it's a big, loud, happy family. You don't want to ruin those memories. I want to, Yeah. I, when I think about spending time at my grandparents' house, I want to think about my grandmother's glumkies, not my pop-up talking about a murder scene. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably not something that a child should should hear and, yeah. and let alone remember. Yeah, exactly. Now, I will say, this is completely unrelated, but my grandma's glumpies were the best. And she passed the recipe down to my mom, but either she forgot an ingredient or she just did something that we didn't know. And we have never been able to replicate them. That's usually how it goes. That little secret recipe it's so sad because they were so good yeah i know like that's my, my grandma's the same way she she doesn't write down recipes for anything it's always a little bit of this a little bit of that and then it's like but we can't recreate this yeah yeah you know when when you think of losing a loved one you don't think of the things that you're gonna miss like i would yeah. growing up i never would have been like oh my god i'm never gonna have these again at some point in time and it's like, yeah, you know, it's just not something you think about. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and like growing up, my, both my parents worked and instead of having to pay a babysitter, since my grandfather owned a business and my grandma ran the office, they would babysit me. So I would sit at their house and watch TV and eat their food. And <laughs> like, you know, that those are the, those are the things that I like to remember. Uh, about this and like now knowing I'm glad I found out about it this way where I was able to have that happy childhood without thinking every time I go over to my grandparents house that you know thinking about murder or something like that and you know finding out about it now when I'm an adult and I can process it much better yeah that's always good so in 2015 John Calvarisi was still imprisoned but passed away from natural causes at age 50. So it wasn't like a a prison murder or anything. He just passed away from natural causes. In 2012, the Supreme Court ruled that juveniles convicted of murder could not be subjected to mandatory life sentences without the possibility of parole. So in October of 2017, Watlin was resentenced. He was not, it was not a retrial where he could have been proven innocent. He just got a resentencing and it was changed to a 40 years to life in prison 
with the eligibility of parole after 10 years, which at that time will be, uh, he will be 56 years old. Watlin claims he has changed. He said that his brain has been rewired, basically. He got, earned his GED. He spends a lot of time reading books, newspapers, magazines. He says he is a changed man, that he has learned he regrets. He does feel that guilt, which often, you know, when you talk about horrible crimes, they always talk about, is there remorse? And, you yeah. know, all that. So he does show remorse. He does want to, he, he wants to, I guess, I don't want to say move on with his life because he did something terrible. He was part of something terrible, but he wants to basically be at peace with what he did. Yeah. He so kind of sort of. Yeah, so I was reading an article where he actually, he collects stories of redemption and people who do good, and he has changed his focus to be inspired by them, and he wants to someday be one of those stories where, yes, he will never be able to change what he did, but maybe he can do some good in the world. So I hope that is true. Stanley's family hopes that this is genuine, that this is true, but they were also hoping for a harsher resentencing. They, you know, they are still heartbroken over their loss all these years later. He had multiple siblings and those siblings had families and a lot of them still miss him to this day because he was just such a sweet man. Yeah. That's I think that makes some of these stories even worse too, is whenever it happens to someone who's as innocent as someone like that yeah just kind and sweet and caring and like i will so you know we always post these to the the website there was a picture of him in the paper when this happened and he just had like this very warm sweet smile and like i i want to run over and give him a hug and it's yeah. it's just so sad and i'm totally not crying you're crying but that is the story of stanley detweiler that was very interesting. That's again, that's another one I haven't heard of. And yeah, I actually yeah. find these local cases very interesting because it's something that it it happens very close to you, and you hear so many details. And I found so much information about this crime because you know the Reading paper covered it, and like we actually probably got that. At, issue of the paper at home growing up and you know you have all these connections i know um coming up here in a couple weeks we are going to be covering a case that uh one of our friends wisty has actually told me about that uh happened in her hometown and it's interesting yeah I, I'll, I'll tell you about that one offline, but, you know, it's, it's interesting because, yes, every death is horrible, but a lot of them kind of fall through the cracks of the public knowledge of them, that they just sort of, small groups, the, the, the community, the local area understands and knows about it, but then only the horrific stuff, or the big stuff, or the... You know, the, the missing teenagers, the, you know, the missing children, which are important. I'm not saying they are yeah. not, but you can only 
put so much attention. There's there's only so much coverage. So, you know, a 41-year-old man who was broke, you know, his house was broken into and he was brutally murdered isn't going to get the same amount of coverage. And it's just very interesting to me to hear these stories and to, to learn about them and to share them. Yeah. Well, thank you for the story, as horrifying as it always is. You're it was welcome. very interesting. As always, make sure to check out our website for all of the show notes, sources, and more information at thesquonkandthehag.com. And we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. All right, Krakow, you ready? Okay, bye.